Welcome back. It's uh, the MPO Sports Podcast, the podcast that's causing earthquakes on social media. So uh, make sure you listen in. I'm Tim. I will be joined by Aaron and Mel. And just before I have a chat to the guys, my torment for this episode is St Kilda supporters. And this is one that's close to my heart. I realise that Mr Hill is probably not performing like someone that should be on 900 grand a season, which is fine. And he probably should take criticism for that. However, what I do not condone is the racism and bullying that he's copying on social media. Absolute disgrace St Kilda supporters, not St Kilda themselves. And seriously, I don't blame his partner for tweeting on, um, I think it was Twitter or it might have even been Instagram, something like that, saying um, that they all quite happily pack up and go back to Fremantle. And I don't blame them. It's about time people respected that, you know, come on, respect the man. He's not informed, fair enough. But also look at things like the actual logistics behind it. He's been playing with a third or fourth string ruckman in the team. We And if you're expecting him to do all the tackling and shepherding and garbage like that, he wasn't employed to do that. He's employed to carry the ball and deliver it. And, yes, his delivery hasn't been great this season, but that is what his game is. So do not have cracks at him being weak, da-da-da. Have a crack at his form. Simple. Don't get racist. Just be smart, St Kilda supporters. All right, guys, how you been? Yeah, I've been good. Um, bit of interest, few interesting games and a few stories coming from the footy, so that's good. It's what about you, Mel? Tonight after um, the news on danger, but um, I'm totally with you on your torment there. I did see a lot of it. I follow a lot of St Kilda supporters on Twitter. I saw a lot of it, and and for the actual club working in this space as well. The actual club to have to send out a tweet begging their members to just settle <coughs> down on their mm. behaviour um, says a hell of a lot. So <coughs> I'm yeah, with 100%. you on that one. And the thing is too, Mel, as I said, they're, they're relying on a third and fourth string Ruckman situation at the moment. You put Ryder mm-hmm. and Marshall in that team and all of a sudden Hill's getting first go at the ball, which is what he's paid to do. Yeah, look, and... and- like, he only got six possessions this week and, you know, clearly um, when you do equate what he's getting paid to a six-possession game, I can understand the frustration. <clears throat> um, but <clears throat> the week before, I didn't think he was too bad. And I just, look, I just, you know how I feel about um, trolling online. So it's just, it's a no from me. Yeah. And the other thing is, too, you've got to remember the game when he did perform, Marshall was on you know, on the team. So... It, it actually does prove yeah, the theory. He plays better when he's got the two quality ruckmen in the team, either both of them or yeah. one of one, or either one of them. And it's one man, <coughs> never just one man in an eighty-six point loss. Yeah, no, there was um, quite a few um, friends he had. Um, now, Mel, is there anything yeah. bugging you, or is your because um, I have got listed Mel's mumble listeners, which is where Mel can have her bit of a rant about what's going on for her and her space? Yes, I do. Of course I do. I've awesome. got a few, but I will start with one that has been bothering me for quite some time, and I don't think I'm alone in this. Now, as we know, the AFL changes rules, like they change their underwear, and I think we had a year recently where they changed nine rules in an off-season, 
Um, but the one rule they didn't change is the nomination rule. I can't stand it. Why do we have grown men putting their hands up like children at school asking permission to go to the toilet? It's just so amateurish. It's a bad look. I just, I just wish, like, if three go up, just pay a free kick. None of this, you know, who's nominating, put your hand up. It, it looks childish. It, we look like amateurs. I'm done with it. Get rid of the nomination rule. Yeah, no, it's it's probably simple, really. It's not rocket science. Pay the free kick for the third man up. Simple. Yeah. Yeah, I like the idea that they moved away from allowing the third man up. I think just letting the ruckman do the ruck work is a good thing. Um, and it's pretty obvious in most instances who's actually going to contest the ball up or the throw in. But as you said, as soon as that third man comes in, pay the free kick. But yeah, it is a bit um, a bit childish and amateurish, as you said, Mel, when you've got to say, oh, put your head up. No, it's me, it's me. That does look ridiculous. Yeah, it, it's just such a blight on our game. Um, trying to explain that to someone who's foreign to the game, uh, it's I, I find it embarrassing um, as a supporter and involved with the game. So I just I want to get rid of it. Um, but I will end my mumble. On a positive, I am very pleased that the VFL is getting the attention it deserves and finally being televised. So on KO and Fox this year, massive positive, we'll be seeing VFL matches and people can watch their youngsters develop if they can't get to the games. And I'm thrilled about it. I'm a massive VFL fan. So um, I think that's a great thing. So always good to end a negative with a positive. Up the mighty zebras. Moving on, um, I have um, listed the Hawks. Are they in trouble? Where to now? Now, I did see some stats before. Um, we have a bit of a conversation around here comparing them to the North Melbourne Football Club, and we know how well North Melbourne are travelling. And it was interesting their ladder positions over the last few years have not been that dissimilar. Are they in a free fall or are they at the stage where Alistair's got to draw a line in the sand and say, we're going to rebuild, we're going to the draft, or is he going to just buy in some more old players and try and um, have another tilt that way? What are your thoughts, guys? Um, well, if we go back to the special we did on that, um for the AFL before the season started. Um, so we were giving our big improvers and our on-notice players or person at the club. Um, you might remember that um, I didn't have an improver at all because there wasn't really much to like about the, the list that they've got. So um, I think they're probably in for a very lean few years. And, um, yeah, Alistair Clarkson's probably, probably not going to see out more than his current contract anyway. But, yeah, I don't think they can go, afford to go through the path of the veterans again because um, they've given away a few picks to get these guys in and that's what's got them in the mess they're in. Your thoughts, Mel? I, look, I, I had to – I watched back their game again on the weekend and, look, I thought, they were, I thought they were quite competitive for the bulk of the game. They just lost their way in that – final term but the effort's definitely there 
And for a team that's essentially rebuilding, like I actually applaud Hawthorne for playing their youngsters. Um, they're brave enough to do it. So I, they've got it. They've got some positives. Like obviously Gorn was superb and McAvoy really struggled to compete with him. But, you know, um, Ollie Hanrahan, Tick, Dylan Moore, he's doing, you know, he's doing okay. They're playing O'Brien, Nash and Kajitsky, tall forwards. They clearly need to do a bit more, but, you know, they're young. Um, but maybe playing all three is a bit, a bit top-heavy. Um, but Mitchell, Amira Winger, they're all very good. Amira is actually having a surprisingly good season. So I don't, yeah, I'm not too concerned about Hawthorne. I think, they, I think they're heading in the right direction. I can see what they're doing. Um, but obviously, you know, they, they have lost a, a, a good crop of players. But I don't think the loss against, against Melbourne was the 50, I think it was 50 points, something around that mark. Um, I don't think it was indicative of the trend of the day. So, look, they're not they're not going to blow the season apart or anything. They probably won't from another two or three two or three seasons. But I I actually like what they're doing. I, I don't mind it. Um, their next four games, they've got Adelaide, St Kilda, West Coast, and North. So um, out of those, they should definitely win at least two. You would think. Um, so it's not all not all negative. And just on that Gorn and uh, McAvoy comparison, I'd take McAvoy's career every day of the week over uh, Gorn's at the moment. Anyway, um, just that's a, that's a cheerio out to um, someone that's a friend of the podcast, uh, Mr. Oh, Phil Kimber. <laughs> um, but well, I, I would definitely a pretty good season. I think I've got to admit that. I, but I, I'm just saying on a career at this stage, I would take the resume of um, McAvoy. Oh, you would. You'd take, <laughs> you'd take any career of a bloke that's won a premiership over a guy that hasn't. But let's not kid ourselves. Gorn's definitely the better player. Uh, probably would be a better comparison, Gorn, now where he is than McAvoy, say, four years ago. But we can't do that. And hindsight's wonderful. So moving on, um, our next question or discussion point is Melbourne, Bulldogs and Sydney, can they maintain their current form? We know Sydney dropped the game on the weekend, but they're still looking pretty good and probably above where most people said they would be, bearing in mind Buddy's out again. So will that have an effect? Is something to look at as well. Um, are they the real deal or has the draw been favourable? Um, remembering that I believe two of those three teams didn't play finals last year, so therefore they've probably had a slightly easier draw than teams in the eight. Um, and Bulldogs were bottom bit of the eight, so their draw's probably not been as as hard as, say, someone that finished top four. So what are your thoughts, guys? <clears throat> well, I'll start with Sydney. Um, so they did drop the game on the weekend, and it was only in the last minute to GWS. So they're sitting four and one at the moment. But um, if we'd given our predictions of how they would have been after five weeks before the season started, I would have had them at one and four. Um, so they've beaten Brisbane by 31 points. 
They beat Richmond by 45 in round three as well. So they've got a couple of pretty big scalps there. There's also Adelaide and Essendon. Um, <clears throat> although Adelaide have been travelling well, you wouldn't have thought that they would have done much this year. So Sydney have actually got off to a really good start, but I've still got question marks over if they can maintain it just because of um, <clears throat> a lot of the, the youngsters that they've got in the team. Um and you look at the dogs draw, um, they've had a pretty favourable one, really. Um, they did beat West Coast, which is a, a big, big scalp, really, because you'd expect West Coast to be up there um, come season's end. They also beat Brisbane, who would have been a pre-season premiership fancy as well. And they had that big win over North Melbourne um, to rubber stamp their percentage. Um, but... That being said, you can only go out and beat the teams that you're up against and they've looked very good in every game so far. Uh, Melbourne's big test this week against Richmond. Um, they've also knocked off the Cats as well a couple of weeks ago, but if they if they get the job done against Richmond this week, I think we've got to really start to take them seriously and just just question if, if they might be um, flag fancies. Yeah, I, as you know, guys, I'm a big fan of the Swans. I, I just, I do get a little bit concerned because they are young. Young players can be very up and down. They can be a bit inconsistent, especially come, you know, mid to end of the season. So I don't think they're going to win every game that they have. But I, I do believe they've got the best strategy and system in the competition. So I'm pretty bullish on the Swans. Kennedy's still killing it. I mean, it was only a four-point four loss, so it's not the end of the world. Um, obviously, Franklin being out, that dampens the spirits a little bit because he has he has been a massive bonus for them. But, look, they've got Blakey, Mills, Malikin, Papley, Hayward, Lloyd, Dawson, and Goulden. How good is Goulden? I mean, this kills me as a Geelong supporter because we actually bid on him, but... He is just killing not not just within the Sydney team but the competition as a whole. So I'm loving what Sydney are doing at the moment. I think, yes, you're right, the young players will be a bit, you know, they will tire um, as we can expect. But their next four, they've got Gold Coast, Geelong, Melbourne and Collingwood. Um, two of those are at the SCG. So, you know, they could possibly win three of those. Uh, you never know. I mean, they're in they're in really great form. Mm. Um, now, was it Bulldogs? So I think the Bulldogs are the real deal. Um, obviously, Bont is in supreme form. They've got a midfield to die for. Um, you know, all all going well and all players keeping fit. Um, I think I think that they'll be fine. They'll be they can finish top four easily. I mean, Bruce is even in form. So you know your team's going well when Bruce is, is in form. Trelaw's killing it. They're tall, sweet, northern English. They're just doing so well. They've got the Giants next week, so you would expect to win there. Um, but they've been challenged in most of their games and they've withstood that pressure. So I think that they can still improve, if I'm honest. And Jack McRae, what an absolute superstar. So... Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much they're a lock for mine. And That's Melbourne, the thing. So they're sorry, the I think dogs. Are, got a favourable. 
Yeah, the dogs are five, five and obviously, and as you said, another couple of wins, and um, they pretty much could be by round eight or nine yeah. cement themselves in the top four because they'd only really need to win potentially yeah. five or six games out of their last 14 to actually make the top four. So. I might have missed going through their next four. So it's GWS, Richmond, Carlton and Port. So a couple of big tests for them coming up, which we'll, we'll really see their standing in the competition with those two. But, you know, I think they could win two, three of those um, of their next four. So, no, I think they're a lock. I, I, I don't think we've got any concerns there unless, you know, they get riddled with injuries, which seems to be an ongoing trend in the AFL at the moment. But um, so you, you look at their draw as well. So they're, <clears> they're probably really looking good to, to be at least eight and two is probably a worst case scenario by round yeah. 10. Mm. So they've set themselves up Very for tough. a really good season. Well, here's one for you guys and listeners. I'll tell you now um, on this is my prediction. The only team come finals I believe that are a real red hot danger for the Tigers at, when the Tigers are prep primed and prepped for the finals is the Bulldogs. Yeah, and I agree with you completely because the way that they play footy is it's similar in the respect that you know they're very they're very attacking, they're very quick with their ball movement. Um, they they play very positively, but they're also aggressive. So they can almost beat um, Richmond at their own game. And I actually, and this, people laugh at me, I actually think the Bulldogs have a bit more polish than Richmond and Richmond are the artist. It's possible as the year go, goes on, especially for the um, younger kids, that, you know, to just improve that little bit further. <clears> 100%. Things. But, um, no, they're, they're definitely looking scary, that is for sure. Um, as for Melbourne... I think we just touched on it before. It was a bit of a bit of a um, bit of a topic of conversation, but I think Gorn's been awesome. He's um, really ascended himself this year, and a young man called Langdon. I mean, he is a star. He's just he's killing it. It's like he's a two hundred game player. Um, so I've really enjoyed watching him. But they're. Their mids, Viney, Oliver, Petrarca, they've all stepped up. They've gone that extra step this year. Um, you know, and Harms, he's got to come back and he'll toughen up their side even more so. Um, but, oh, and Salem, I forgot Salem. He's another almost A grader there as well. So they're doing really well. I, I, I felt like they could have gone up a gear against Hawthorne. I felt like maybe they just were, you know, going through the motions a little bit in that last um, last quarter. But, and I just wanted to ask you what you think of Cozzy Pickett. Like, obviously, he's a star, um, but I think he rushes his goals. I mean, obviously, he's quick and, you know, he, he's enthusiastic and all that sort of stuff, but he seems to rush um, his shots at goal, which, um, which could cost the kid a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah, he just needs a little bit more composure, really, doesn't he? Yeah, I think he he, he might just might just get that little bit of excitement about him, um, which he's got that natural flair and plays with that excitement anyway. But yeah, if he could yeah. just just maybe have that little bit more composure, um, it might help yeah. him him not only kick okay. a few more goals but also set up a few as well. Here's one for you. He is in danger. I mean, 
Oh, sorry, I was going to say, here's one for you. He is in danger yeah. of being the next Liam Ryan, as in being a highlight reel. He's got, I want to see him do this week in, week out. We're only at We're round... not going there. <laughs> no, well, well my, my point has been valid, validated with what I said about Liam Ryan. He's out for a month injured. This is the thing. Let's not put players on a pestle. They can be injured like that yeah. and, you know. Look, I mean, I'm not, try- I'm not trying to, um, to say anything bad against Cosy Pickett because obviously he's going to be a star and we all enjoy watching that type of player. But I just think composure, as is the right word, he, he seems to just be rushed, you know, um, just missing those goals that maybe he, he should get. So um, just... Just watch that, um, Cosy. But he's still <laughs> still very very young and very early in his career. He but he's got he has got cult figure written all over him, doesn't he? Let's not get I'm ahead sure, of ourselves, though. I'm sure and, someone and the, on the that, um so. the one thing about um, Melbourne too that's impressed me um, is they've done it all so far without a real focal point up forward. Um, so they've got yeah, Sam right. Wiedemann so and Ben Brown thing, out like still. And Wiedemann kicked seven in the VFL yeah. on the weekend. So um, um, so you'd imagine that he's probably going to come straight back in. And we've seen what he can do in the finals a couple of years ago, and then he's had those injury issues. But um, if he continues on with those signs he showed a couple of years ago, um, Melbourne become a, a much more scary proposition. What worries and me that about probably Melbourne? brings Pickett more in, into the game a bit mm. more. And as we've seen when um, Jesse Hogan was still at Melbourne, um, Tom McDonald actually plays a lot better um, and is a lot more dangerous when he's got that partner up forward as well. So yeah. um, if, if those things fall into place for Melbourne, um, yeah, they've, their fans have got every reason to get get excited. The only thing is, Woody, my only fear for Melbourne is it's all right when you're front running and you're up and you're playing well, right? Goodwin has had a history not having a plan B. Yep. That's my worry for Melbourne. I don't know if um, Mr. Good, Goodwin's got a plan B. It's all right when your team's winning and yep. they're, they're the front runners, but when it's on in a final against a Richmond or Bulldogs, as we've project, projected, um, has he got a plan B in a tight game? You know? yeah, well, we'll find out a lot more about <laughs> Melbourne this week against Richmond than we've found out about him in the first five weeks, I think, because um, Richmond have been... So my, my only concern for Melbourne, and, and, and it's a small one, um, is that they've only beaten one top eight side, but you can only do what, you've, what you can do against who you've been dealt, So and they've done that. They've also got a favourable draw, lots of games at the G. May's returning. Tomlinson is standing up. Lever, um, you know, Hibbard seems to have picked up from where he left off. But before we leave on Melbourne, I just would really love to have a special mention to Nathan Jones. He's a loyal warrior. He has been a superb player for the Melbourne Football Club. He plays his 300th this weekend. Go well, Nathan. I love him. And I don't think there's too many people that wouldn't wouldn't be footy fans and not like Nathan Jones as well. And nah, look, we're only round five. We're only round five, so let's not get too excited about you know premierships and who's <laughs> going to be in the grand final and whatnot. But geez, yeah. I don't think there'd the be too many people. But there wouldn't be too many people disappointed to see Nathan Jones with a premiership medal around his neck, would there? Yeah, uh, there would be. But anyway. Oh, 
I personally, I personally respect what he's done, but I actually don't like him. That's just me. No, I'm not. I don't hate him, I, 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 but I'm, I'm not like everyone else over just, the moon about him. I just, I don't <laughs> see how you can say that. I mean, every team would love a bloke yeah. like Nathan Jones in there. So I just, he's the yeah, heart and soul absolutely. of that club. He, he, he bleeds blue and red. Like he, he lives and he'd die for Melbourne Football Club. Yeah, yep. he's he's as loyal as they come, and he gives it everything. He's he's played a lot of footy when they've been so down the bottom. He's had opportunity to leave. I just I love that in a player. Now nah, he's a he's a he's a warrior. I can't say a bad word about him. I'm not I'm not saying I hate him or I dislike. I just don't get it, get involved in the hype that um, people talk him up. To me, no, if, he's a good average footballer that's been a captain. But anyway, you know what? I'd I'd love it if there was a few <laughs> blokes at Carlton that played like he is and played with heart and soul. Because that's what he's not at. He's not at his best because he, he's at the end of his career. Um, he almost gave it away. Luckily, he didn't, and he can reach this three hundred milestone, which I'm thrilled about. <clears> but um, I just I just don't think he can say that he he has been in and under taking taking. The hits for the for the team. He he's pretty much walked alone for many years for Melbourne. So um, no. Well, that's right. He great. he led them through their the, the, the leanest years that they've oh. had. He was he was their leader, and he's got them through to where they are now. And if if anyone in the league deserves some success in their twilight of the career, right now it's him. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. see, I, I'm from the theory of if Robert Flower couldn't get a premiership. It's a disservice if um, Nathan Jones does. Yeah, anyway. see, but now now you're going down the path of, you know, <laughs> where some people yeah. say that players are better because they've won a premiership. So let, let's not go there. Is someone that has given 110% every single week, put their body on the line for a team that's pretty much been on the bottom of the ladder. He's, st- he's stuck fat with Melbourne. He's probably had offers. He's never left. He's loyal and, you know, I just think if you're a Melbourne supporter, you adore the man, but even the wider football public absolutely respect him. Um, loyal loyal is uh, Robert Flower. When uh, when um, Greg Wells went to Carlton to play in a premiership, they also threw money at Robert Flower and Robert Flower said I mean, no. I don't understand how you can argue about this. He's played 300 games for the Melbourne Football Club. Most of those very very good games and they've been on the bottom of the ladder and he hasn't left the club he hasn't deserted them he stuck fat and played well for most of those 300 games he's at the end of his career let's celebrate his his achievement i think it's great i'm going to be there i'm going to cheer him on because i i think that he's been tremendous not only for melbourne but but for the competition but let's move on and um, just before we do move on, poor, there's poor gene pool in the Jones family and we're experiencing it at St Kilda. So that's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah, he, he hasn't yeah, been great, Zach, has he? Zach's a good kid, don't get me wrong. He's, he's got the ticker like what you're saying, but he's got the same problem as his older brother. He's a bit of a turnover king. But anyway. Um, Look, I just... I, I want to talk about their next four, though. They've got Richmond, <clears throat> Richmond North, Sydney and Carlton. So they're very winnable games, and I'm going to go out on a limb. They're going to beat Richmond. Yep. Look, on <clears throat> form, on form, that's probably a, a fair, fair thing, but we know in the past Melbourne haven't 
been at their best when they've been under pressure or when they've been favourites or whatever. So as I said before, we're going to learn a lot about them this week. Oh, if you if you think, think they're going to beat Richmond, Mel, if, if you think <laughs> they're going to beat Richmond, put your money where your mouth is on the podcast, <laughs> right? And here's, here's the best. No, I'm not allowed to bet on football because I work in football. No, 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 no. I... But we can still – you'll be able to do this, right? If um, <laughs> Melbourne win, I will tweet on Twitter Uh-oh. at how superior your brain power is around football to mine, right? When Richmond, oh, I mean, when Richmond beat Melbourne, anyway, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm about to tweet that right now. Anyway, I was going to say, and when um, Melbourne yeah. lose to Richmond, feel free to return the favour. <laughs> Look, I'm not saying it's a lock. I'm just saying that they're very capable of winning. The space that Melbourne Football Club are in at the moment is a great one. That. There's no reason why they can't win, can't win this game other than they're playing a team on reputation, Richmond. Um, but they haven't had their best start to the season either. So, I mean, this is going to be a great game for one. It always is. the um, Very risky game really. for Melbourne because they could lose yep. their momentum. Uh, the thing with Melbourne is if they lose this game, we all go, oh, well, they played Richmond. So, you know, that's okay. But as but, you said too, if they drop, even if they drop this game, you look at the three after that. I mean, yeah, they're still yeah, going to be eight and one, aren't they? It, I, I think there's no pressure on Melbourne to win this game. There's probably more pressure on Richmond to win this game. I'm just saying, I can see Melbourne; they're quite capable of winning this game. My concern yeah. is that bringing May back from more reports, and I just think, is it, <clears> that's just too early? Don't you think, guys? Yep, definitely. You've, you're going to do. Do more harm than good rushing mm-hmm. a guy back who's integral and probably the most yeah. important cog in your team. You achieve nothing by rushing him back for a round six game. Um, and that concerns me because it's a serious injury. Yeah, that's and right. If so if he, Rory, if he, if he, Rory Sloan, yeah, if the that moment, industry, if that injury gets worse or he does something else, whatever, I mean, he could be potentially out for four or five weeks. So why bring him in if he's yeah. underdone? It's it's one game and you're 5-0. and o, um, You probably yeah. don't have a lot to gain by bringing him in this week. And it's a game where he might get tested a bit too mm-hmm. soon, too early too. Yep, they'd be yeah. much better off just leaving Look, him out for this week. I, yeah, I do. It really worries me. And we've seen like Rory Sloan had, had his eye socket issue and then he, you know, down the track he's out with, with um, a detached retina as a result of that original injury. So I just think these are the sort of injuries you've got to be careful, careful with. I mean, it's not, you know, a hammy. This is your, this is your eye. This is your facial structure. So I just think I, I'm just thinking what what's their thinking? Obviously, they've got the medical evidence that we don't. Um, but it just seems rushed for mine, which maybe indicates that you know they're in for a real fight. They really want to win this game. That's um, the yeah, they do, but they've got to keep the bigger picture in mind. As I said, it's round six, so don't get too carried away. If this was if if this was round 21 or round 22 and you need to beat Richmond to finish in the top four, then, yep, you can justify doing it. But it's round six and you're 5-0. and oh, so. And there's an old adage, Woody, where it's never too late to start 
but you can start too early. Yeah, that's right. That's the thing too. You can't <clears throat> you can't win a premiership in round six, but you can certainly rule yourself out um, by by doing stuff like this. If they if something happens and you know, as Mel said, Roy Sloan had the detached retina and stuff like that. Like that that's a long term and a very serious injury. So it's a scary yeah. injury, especially for someone so young. And I just think we're so at the moment we're so focused on concussion and CTE and all that sort of stuff. I mean, this is a facial injury. It's an eye injury. I just give him more time, even if he wants to play, even if he, even if he's training and getting through sessions well. Just, I just think they should give him more time. But that's a, that's just my opinion. No worries. Is that all we got on that subject, guys? Yeah, I think we've covered a fair bit of ground there. All right. Well, the next one's another one's close to my heart. Saints, what the mm, is going on? Oh, God. Should we even let you um, be in this conversation? Or I'll, tell you what's go- I'll tell you what's going on if you want to know. <laughs> there is no, no ticker at all being displayed week in, week out. Also, too, we're um, obviously emphasising the importance of Ruckman because we've got our probably arguably the best um, Ruck duo when they're both on the park in the whole competition and you take both them out with the exception of Marshall playing one game a couple of weeks ago, that doesn't help as well because I think they actually provide a bit of ticket for the midfield by giving them a lot of times first use of the ball. They're not tackling. They're not chasing. They're not accountable. I, I've seen three or four players watch a Richmond play run into open frigging goal with their hands on their hips. Eh, nah, disgusting. Uh, I actually yeah. if I can interject, a couple of your players turn their back on play. Uh, that's something that I absolutely hate and you learn as a junior never, ever to turn your back on play. So I did see that. I don't know if you noticed it, Tim. Um. Probably in between the steam coming out of my ears, my sight of the TV might have been sort of compromised. Oh, geez, it was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Yeah, look, it's, it's not good. My concern with St Kilda is they're a little bit in no man's land. They Their Marvel form is bad, um, but that's that's all salvageable because they've got quite, <coughs> quite a fair few games at Marvel. But two thrashings to start the year, that's a concern. Mm. You know, you can lose. There's ways of losing and you can lose, but getting annihilated twice in five rounds is probably not not the best start, especially when we had so much expectation on St Kilda. But with Marshall and Jones out, you know, that hurts. And, um, I think King as well, he can definitely get the ball, but he just he, he needs to learn to kick a bit better. You know, it doesn't help, Mel, though. Uh, yeah, they did. He's in shock when he gets the ball because the delivery is that poor. Look, I mean, we've got to look at the positives. You know he's going to be a star. so And you know blokes that of that height are going to take yeah. a long time to develop. But I'm talking kicking. I'm not talking how he gets the ball. Oh, my, my point is he's, in that much, he's still in shock, Mel, after delivered the ball to him. That's why his kicking's poor. <laughs> So let's yeah, let's look at it from um, <clears throat> let's look at it from a coaching <clears throat> perspective. I mean, they have got Brett Ratton there, so you look. You've had the two thrashings, and then you that's sandwiched between the win against West Coast as well. So, yeah, which is um, very impressive. 
So is it is it a coaching issue? Is it a player issue? Like where? Where? I don't. That's what I mean. I don't think it's a coaching issue because it's we can see happens. we've seen what they can do when they're switched on and when they're all doing what they're obviously meant to do. So, yeah. um, you'd expect, especially this week, there might be um, an axe to be swung. Um, do you, do you make a statement and drop drop a player or two, just a big name like Brad Hill? Do you reckon they've got the guts to drop him? I wouldn't on the back no. of the bullshit that's gone on in social media and that. I don't think it's good for his mental health. I do think form-wise you've got an argument, but I think holistically yeah. you can't. I think you've got to look at one of his um, mates and Brad drop Hill. them. I think Brad Hill, and look, <coughs> I'll, you know, I'll get crucified on Twitter, but I think the Brad Hill situation is, is a bit overplayed. It's not his fault he's on such a high contract. The club no. made that decision. Yeah. So... If you support your club, you support their, you've got to support their decision or, you know, at least accept it. They've decided to pay him that amount of money because I think he's worth it. And we've seen that he's worth it. We've seen what he, what he did at Fremantle. So, look, he's struggling. Players, are, players get out of form all the time. Even champions get out of form. Last week, I don't think Dustin Martin played very well at all, in my humble opinion. And, yes, Richmond supporters, you'll come for me on Twitter. But... You know, this happens sometimes. And, look, he's going through a bit of a lull. Yes, he didn't play well. Yes, he's not playing his best football. But the week prior to last week's drubbing, he, he actually, I didn't think he was all that bad. Um, One of the reasons why we got back in the game, actually. Yeah, yeah, exa- that's exactly right, Tim. So that's mm. why when I saw all that, all the vitriol on social media, it was just really disappointing. Um, and it's certainly not going to help him. So I don't think that, you know, um, him reading, and players do read this stuff, um, I don't think that, you know, him reading that is really going to help him in a positive way, but it may. Um, But I think with St Kilda, it's a tug of war between mental a mental um, attitude and laziness. They seem a little bit... (laughs) you know, um, what's the word, spasmodic between the two because you see patches where, you know, they appear um, attacking the football, quite desperate. Um, You see glimpses of of fast ball movement, you know, nice passes into the forward line. You've got a bloke called Hunter Clark who I think he went, was it pick number seven? Yeah, it was pretty high. Might have been, Might have been six, maybe. It was pretty. It was pretty high, but gee, I think it should have been higher. He is phenomenal. I'd love him at Geelong. Um, <clears throat> you know, he gets thrashed. His time, his team gets thrashed by eighty six points. He still walks away with thirty three possessions. I mean, he, you know, he's great and still leads this football club. You know. Perfectly, he's he's got everything on his shoulders at the moment. So I mean, there are some <clears> positives. Like I said before, it is salvageable, mm. but losing the way they're losing, and I'm talking the numbers that they're losing by, that's got to be a huge concern for Adam. Even though St Kilda have been up and down, I'd argue Steele's probably top four in the midfielders so far this year. Well, let me have a look. Well, he's hardly put a foot wrong, really. <laughs> That's right. And he's kicked goals when we've needed goals. I know he didn't kick a goal last week, but not many people did. 
No, that's right. But <clears throat> um, the point <clears throat> Mel brought up before with um, Brad Hill about um, players reading all the stuff in the paper and all, all that sort of stuff, um, given that there was a lot of hype around St Kilda coming into the year, do you think maybe some of the players have bought into that hype and just with some of these, especially the Essendon one, for example, that they maybe just thought that they just had to show up to win. The Essendon game, St Kilda should have done to Essendon what Essendon did to St Kilda. That's the bottom line, and I think you're 100% right on that one. I can take the Richmond one because Richmond are obviously the yardstick, yeah. and um, in that sort of game, there's sort of team, if Richmond get 30 points up pretty quick, you know you're going to lose by over 10 goals. Yeah, but there's just – I think we don't need to be too concerned about them, I don't think, because if you look at their list, I mean, there's just too much talent for them to, to, be, to be down for five, six weeks in a row, isn't it? Like, we already talked about Hunter Clark, but Nick Caulfield as well. And then um, yep. there's yeah. a bloke I love down back there too, Callum Wilkie. Jeez, he's a nice player, isn't he? Even old Dougal Hauser or Howard. Yeah, he's um he's actually been quite good. He's probably been the best of the ones that came from um, that memory, period of trade. Remember, he's accepting he's he's taking marks and things like that. So, like I said, I I don't think <coughs> I, I don't think that you put I don't think you cross St Kilda out by any stretch. I think I, think, the, I just think the main concern is if you're going to lose, don't get thrashed. And and you said yes, it's Richmond, and I agree with you. I know mm. all about Richmond beating <clears throat> beating your club, but um, I I still think that you know you don't hang your head like that. I, I agree, but I, I, all I'm saying is the 86 point loss, whatever it was to them, is easier to take than the Essendon loss. Oh, that's, definitely. That's all I'm saying. I'm, no, I'm, yeah, I get what you're saying there. And then you look at, you look at the the absolute um, you know contrast. The West Coast game, you know, mm. it, that that's almost like a flip. It's the, you know the same thing but in reverse. So but you know, it was a big difference. There was a couple of guys in that second half. One of them being Marshall, who we've only had one game out of, mm-hmm. and actually Brad Hill. He's probably his best half of football was the second half against West Coast. Yeah, and that's why I'm saying that the criticism <clears throat> on him is 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 a little premature. Like, just take a breath, St Kilda members. Yeah, um, I don't think just St Kilda, Kilda members take a breath. I think we all do it as footy fans. We we um we overreact on one or two weeks, don't we? I mean, and things. Yeah. Can That's turn around very quickly. So we're we're saying all this stuff about St Kilda right now, but we've mentioned that their list, some of the players have got on their list and all that sort of thing, and the players have got to come back. I mean, we could very well be sitting here in a month's time or five five six weeks time, and and could be talking about you know well, going on a five five game win streak, couldn't we? 100%. Let's talk about their next four. So they've got Port in Adelaide, Hawthorne, Gold Coast, and Geelong. Two of those games are at Marvel. So when you look at that four, you're thinking that they they definitely win two, possibly three, hopefully not Geelong, but, you know, the way we're going. So, um, you know, and then they're right back in it. That's the thing. So if, if, they, if they put up a good showing against Port, whether they win or lose, probably doesn't matter. But then they get Gold Coast and Hawthorne. They go, in, go into that Geelong game potentially sky high on confidence. Um, they knock them off, and then all of a sudden, um, we're talking about them as well, the top four or top six side again, aren't we? 
Yeah, well, that's the thing. And we all know we've watched footy long enough to know that it, a week's a long time in football. I mean, you know, even today, look at what's happened today, like Geelong losing yep. one of our best players for, you know, up to eight to God knows how many weeks. So yeah, things, things can turn around just <laughs> but, as quickly as they fall apart. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. So, yeah. And especially one, with one St Kilda, they've one got one a good list. Out, yeah, <laughs> They're the weakest out of out of the the clubs that we've discussed at length tonight. I think. Yeah, but the they've they've got too good a list to be down for too long, and and I think there's not too many people that don't rate Brett Ratton as a coach anyway. So and they've got a good list and a good coach, so they're gonna they're gonna get that ship in the right direction. Very. Yeah, soon, the other the other parting note on St Kilda is, I'd argue, um, we've probably got some of the best small forwards get getting yeah. around in that team, so they can get goals, whether it be from the ground or by the big forwards. So. And, and we know we, <coughs> we've, we as we've seen with the Essendon game, and then they backed it up with the win over. Um, West Coast, they only take it one week at a time. And it does sound cliche, as Mel said, with it, you know, weeks long time in footy, but but we've already seen this year that when they put in a poor showing that they can respond. So, so if, if they knocked off guy. if they knocked off Port Adelaide this week, I don't think it would be a massive surprise. Which they did do last year at Adelaide. Yep. So yeah, I, the first I just think they've ever done it. But um, they got the double last year, Adelaide yeah. and um, Port Adelaide. <laughs> And they hadn't won before there. But, no. um So what you're saying, guys, are you? Are, do you both agree that this is more of a mental kind of above-the-shoulders issue for St Kilda than it is a fitness personnel, um, you know, game plan kind of issue? Yeah, I, I think, think it is. I think it is too. Yeah. And a, a prime, one prime example of it is they've got the idea of pressing when they've got the ball, but they're not clicking when they haven't. And that's what's killing them. And and as you said before, Mel, <laughs> there was a couple of times last week where they turned their back on the play and all that sort of thing. Um, so yeah. turn, turning your back on the play, um, it's just a mental and an effort thing, isn't it? And effort's, effort's generally a mental thing anyway. So well, I think it's a brain fade thing. I just think it's a lack of concentration <clears throat> thing. Yeah, but I, I think they'll turn it around before too long. Yeah, it's what's between ears. Yeah. Um, yeah, next on our list, is there any other burning issues that either of our um, comrades here want to um, discuss? No, I think we've, we've sure touched on quite a lot here. Them. Well, bearing that in so mind. Obviously, the internet is <coughs> building up across the competition. So, well. Um, that's a bit of a burning issue. Yeah. Maybe that's something we explore later on, uh, maybe next podcast and put a bit more time to it, I reckon, because we've got that very popular segment, the Mount Rushmore, where the, the three yeah. brains put together their four best of a certain category. And the category we came up with was commentators and at request... We've made it AFL commentators, so I thought I might take the lead. Oh on no, this. we haven't because I. <laughs> oh, I'm doing okay. See, this is where I need to be in the planning meeting again. Oh, well, this wasn't in the planning meeting. The this, this was via inbox from Woody, so blame Woody. <laughs> well, <clears throat> well, we'll we'll just just oh, make no. it. We'll, we'll make a decision now. So, what have you got, Mal? Have you just got got um in in any sport? We'll we'll just I, run I with what I've you've got. got. I've just. I've done 
I've just listed four um, commentators that have really, um, what's the word, really influenced me or or made an impact on me when I'm watching the sport yep. itself. No, that's so fair enough. We'll, we'll just run with that criteria then. You'll know that I love um, a great deal of sport, so not just AFL. So I listed I listed four and only one of them's AFL, so I okay. don't know. Is that right oh. or wrong, guys? No, that's no. good. I've, I've gone we'll go down a similar path as you, I think. So, so what I'll good. do, what I'll do, because I did get led astray by Woody, <laughs> I will just, for interest's sake, list We're the four the four AFL it. ones, and then I'll just um, let people okay, know. Do then I'll let people know the the four all time for me. All right. <clears throat> so AFL commentators, my four are Rexy. Captain Blood, because I will never forget that famous call. He's just a good average player, and then Bazaste kicks goal of the year or mark of the year. Um, Louis the Lip, you can't beat old Louis the Lip, and he's offsider for many years on television. Peter Landy, so that that would be my four um, AFL ones. But now, knowing that it's a sport <clears throat> for sport, I would have Rexy. Okay, so we're doing both. Yep. So I would go Rexy again for just general sports commentators because I think he changed. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah he did. He, he, he made it exciting. Um, I've got a real red herring one, though, too. Um, the late, great Murray Walker made me actually half enjoy Formula One, and I'm not a motorhead. And um, also in cricket, it was very, very hard to go past the skull, Kerry O'Keefe. He makes it exciting and interesting. And of all games, all sports, I remember Melbourne for the Commonwealth Games at the Lawn Bowls. Okay. Mick <laughs> Malloy. Lawn Bowls. <clears throat> he made people want to watch Lawn Bowls. Did you just say Yeah, he made people want to. He made people want to watch the Lawn Bowls at the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne because of his commentary. I'm not watching the Lawn Bowls for Mick Malloy. Well, yeah. what other reason would you watch it for? <clears throat> There's not much else going I on. <laughs> I'm a lawn bowler, and I'm saying Mick oh, Malloy maybe want to watch it. So there you go. Very, very good. Who's next? I'll go next. Yep, fire away. Okay, so <clears throat> AFL on the hop. Um, Dennis Cometti. Yep, rate him. Anthony Hudson. Oh, love and that one. Long supporter people. He is a great caller. Um, Bruce McAvaney, Sport Encyclopedia. Mm. I, 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 I'm, um, I, I'm one of those rare ones that's not a fan of Bruce, but continue. <clears throat> well, of course you're not because we never agree, Tim. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and Sandy Roberts. Yes, yep. great Sandy. What more yep. can you say? <laughs> I used to love Sandy's um, plays of the week or month or whatever it was when he used to do all that. Yeah, yeah. That talk. yeah it was great. I know, I do, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he he didn't get much wrong. He, he's pretty good. And he was um, a Saints and, supporter uh, too. Oh, oh, well, I didn't know that. Hang on, let me put a that. And for my worldwide sports, well, I had Dennis Kennedy in there, so I've only got three. Yeah, that's um, right. The late... Great, Richie Benno. Yep. Yeah, yep. I mean, this man still has people turning up to test cricket 
wearing the beige, yep. holding the microphone with <clears> the <throat> grey hair all around the world. I mean, he was iconic. And even now when I watch international cricket, which I do a hell of a lot, just <clears> cricket, there's something missing and it's not the players. Um, besides Dickie Bird, the umpire, I miss Richie Benno. Do you think um, um, Billy Buckingham added to the legend that is Richie? Billy Birmingham. The Birmingham, top. sorry, Birmingham. Yep, yeah. that's him. I, th- I mean, I think he did because it, <laughs> it, it lightens the, you know, it right. lightened um, Richie's persona because Richie was actually serious with his two for 22 and, and his beige. But um, so, yeah, definitely. But you can't take anything away from Richie. Oh, no, um, I, I was just asking he, the question if you think he added to the legend, that's all. Yeah, I thought, well, he definitely did. Um, and he's retired. We can do retired. We're doing retired as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just but some commentators retired. that did it. Yeah. So this man's retired, but he's a legend, almost 70 years of calling, and we'll all know his name. Well, all of us that follow baseball will know his name. Um, he was the Dodgers broadcaster, Vin Scully, and he used to sign off every single call with, I wish you all a very pleasant good afternoon. He was brilliant. He was brilliant. So did you ever hear him? No, no I can't, I can't no. say I have, but <laughs> I'll, I'll take your word for it. <clears throat> <laughs> um, no, he, he's a legend of um, of baseball and I, he's a legend of Dodgers baseball well, definitely but um, I think the whole baseball fraternity um, US wide loved him and then I've got a duo who as a Packers fan I really shouldn't like these two um, but Joe Buck and Joe Buck and Troy Aitken Aitman sorry yep. Yep. Um, from Fox definitely. for the NFL so they always get to call the you know the games of the round over there the um, so, but they actually got banned. I don't know if you remember, but um, that's why Packers fans don't like him because they got banned from announcing Packers games. So technically, as a Packer tragic as I am, I shouldn't like them, but I do. They're maligned, but I like them because they're they, very polarizing, aren't they? Yeah, they do. They um, they're a bit like Kane Corns, who I also like. Um, Love him or hate him. Yeah, love him or hate him, take him as he is because he will he will not take a step back. He yep. will he, they will say what they what they think and um yeah, so I appreciate them in NFL. No, I think that's pretty decently so I'll um I'll go with my AFL ones first. Yep. So Dennis Cometti, definitely. Um I do also like Anthony Hudson, so I'll agree with Mel there. Um I'm going to throw in a couple of ones just to be different. Um, I actually really rate um, Peter Donegan. Donners, yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. He's got a bit of, bit of character about him too. Yeah, he does. I, I rate him. Oh, look, he, he, do, he does a lot of different stuff too, but um, he's one of those rare commentators that um, actually can cross over to different sports. Most, most commentators... Yeah just have their niche in one sport, but um, Peter Donegan can do a fair bit. And um, he was the voice of the stall gift too, wasn't he? Like he did a lot yes. of the commentary on that as well. Um, and another guy who 
who would have definitely been, and Tim will definitely agree with me here when I say his name, um, he uh, his time was cut short, Clinton but um, he was well on the way to be uh, one the best commentators, I think. Um, Clinton uh, Gribus, uh, <clears throat> another one that could do any sport. And, um, yeah, he, um, especially with his AFL stuff, he did basketball, um, just any, any sport he could commentate, but... Um, especially footy and yeah he was taken taken too soon but geez he if he was still around now i don't think there'd be too many rivaling him um for the best commentator in the world of afl he certainly i was going to pitch a few honorable mentions at the end of you know a couple that are deceased that sort of thing and he was on the list so there you go yeah and rightly so um and now for my um world sport one so um Tim said Murray Walker. Um, definitely go with him for the same reasons that Tim said. Um, Martin Tyler is definitely on the list. Um, you just got to look at his commentary and all the stuff he's done with the English Premier League and um, even the World Cup for SBS as well. Um, Phil Liggett. Um, he's probably as good a commentator as anyone because... Who else could sit there for six hours and watch cycling for three weeks um, and have something to say at all times? Um, the man loves his cycling and just he was a wealth of knowledge. Um, and I'll chuck in um, another AFL one as well. I'll go with um, Dennis Comedy and chuck him on my list. Awesome. Well, I was going to sort of wind up with a couple of honourable mentions um, and two of them had passed. One you mentioned in Clinton. Uh, the other one was Drew Morfitt was a gun as yeah, well. Definitely yeah. Drew Morfitt. Yep. Yep. And yeah, I forgot about him. He was great. Yep. And he, he used to do cricket, football. He used to do a variety of sport as well. And yeah. another guy that's done a bit of cricket, a bit of football, and is a bit of an unsung hero. And his daughter is usually in the media, and that's Tim Lane. Absolute gun. Oh, of course, Tim Lane. <clears throat> You could, you can almost turn your television off and listen to him rather than watch the cricket on TV. Yep. He's um, 100%. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's one of the best, if not the he, best, um, at cricket. He, he fell just short of making mine, <laughs> but yeah, he, I did definitely consider him. And another one who's probably as good as any getting around right now in terms of AFL is Jared Waitley. Yep. Yeah, yeah, no, I could live with that. I and Waits has got his, he knows about every sport pretty much <clears> his, <throat> off his own bat. Um, and you even look at um, with SEN um, for the last few years, he's he's um, even commentated the Super Bowl, um, and even even American American yeah. um, supporters of the game said that his commentary. And I'll go back to the Eagles one when they won my, the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Um, that was his first one that he did, and um, there's a lot of people even over in America saying that his commentary was better than than the stuff that they had available to them over there. And I'll, I'll get on a limb and people are going to stone me and we'll get a bit of action in social media. I like BT. Oh, you're an idiot. I like BT. <laughs> I've got to say one of my pet hates on social media is when everybody complains about the commentary so much because you've got a choice. Turn you do. Up, turn the volume down. Mute. Um, you know, listen to the radio instead. I mean... I just 
I do get a bit annoyed by stuff like that, but I, I'm going to make a mention to a little bit of a friend of mine, Abby Holmes. I think that she's um, she's been thrown into a boundary rider position in, in the men's competition, and I think she's holding her own. I think she's doing pretty well. So up there for the girls. Yeah, uh, she's actually too, not too bad. A lot of people don't like Kelly Underwood as well, um, but I, I don't think she's too bad. Um, but there's a, especially a lot of um, a lot of male AFL fans think that there's women in there just as as a token gesture to get them in the commentary teams and whatever. But um, yeah, Abby Holmes and um, Kelly Underwood and even Daisy Pierce, she does know her stuff, so it's not. Let's just move away from our oh, girls can't commentate footy. Girls don't know footy because um, a lot of the well, times they do. Girl. Because <laughs> I was just about to say, there's probably not too many people that tune into us that um, won't deny that Mel knows a lot more about the game than we do. Yes. Um, another, I was going to say another mention in general about sports commentary, and I think they actually make the sport or the game quite interesting. And that's actually the professional darts commentary team that you get to watch when you watch the darts. Yep, but the the commentary team, like you know, um, it's just amazing. Like how they can make such a boring game if you're watching it exciting, <laughs> and that's their job. And, and that, that's why I put oh, Phil Liggett in mind because he he didn't he didn't make doesn't make the um, Tour de France more exciting as such, but um, he makes it interesting and he draws you in. Yep, and that's what it's about. Some of the most – and that's, that's why I said Mick – sorry, Mel? I'm just, I was just about to say to Az, I think darts is harder than like a Tour de France because at least you can talk about the scenery. And yeah, that's at right. stages <clears throat> darts, there's really not much going on except for a few tattoos and mullets. <laughs> and people in the audience chairs above their heads, <laughs> but no, they do they do make it interesting. I've, I've got to admit that's yep. that's a good one. And that's a, and that's another reason why I mentioned Mick Malloy about the Commonwealth Games with the bowling is lawn bowls because he did he made it exciting, it, awesome. It's just, and that's what what to me that's what a commentator's got to do. They've got to captivate the audience and. There's, yep, put it this way, I'm not going to fall asleep on the couch with one eye open, one eye shut, late at night watching the darts because the commentators keep you in it. Where I could with the football, or I yeah. could with I could with the cricket. Yep. So, anyway, it looks like we've come to the end of our AFL segment. So we will be heading off on a break, and when we come back on the other side of the break, I believe Woody and myself. And our guest that's coming on to talk about the world game. We'll hit the world game next. Um, other than that, um, we yeah. wish yeah, we wish you, Mal, all the best. And hopefully uh, you're right for your sake about Melbourne because there may be a bit of an upheaval on Twitter if you're wrong. <laughs> and, um, yeah, other, other than that, um, good luck to Geelong because... Um, Thank you. I'm actually I'm actually going back to work now. So <laughs> thanks, guys, for having me again. It's all, it's always fun. Love arguing with you, Tim. I'm always right. <laughs> you know well, that. we'll have to um, have another sparring session next episode, so that'll be good. I'm sure <laughs> I'll think of some colourful uh, topic um, that um, I will throw um, out the fishing line and you I'm will sure snap you it up. 
yeah. and just before Mel takes off, just before Mel takes off and we go to our break, I know, Mel, um, you're involved with another mm. podcast about Geelong during the week, so I just want to give them oh, a bit yeah. of a shout-out. Just give them yeah. a bit of a shout-out. Yeah, um, Beers with Ben, I think it's at Beers underscore with underscore Ben, and yep. he's a lot of fun. He's a Geelong tragic, much like myself, and we have a good time talking about Geelong, and, of course, I couldn't shut up and he couldn't shut me up, and <laughs> it was great fun. So um, have a listen, guys, if, so, especially Geelong supporters. So what you're saying, Mel, listeners, if you've got a spare six and a half hours, give it a listen. <laughs> <laughs> This is not far from the truth. It's not far from the truth. But no, we had a lot of fun, and he's and he's a great he's a great um, guy. And even if you don't support Geelong, it was, it was a good chat about Geelong. But um, but yeah. Um, well, Ben, if you're listening to our podcast, maybe you can join <laughs> Mel with us next time for a bit of a chat. Yes, let's get Ben on. No, that'd be great. We'll, we, we'll um, put out the um, invitation there. The more the merrier on um, the AFL discussion side of things. We just may need yeah, to. I'm in the Geelong corner with me, just to, just quietly. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good fun, and I enjoy joining you guys as well. I, I um, as much as I do love my cats, as everybody knows, I um, I love the game just as much. So I like to talk about all clubs and all issues and, and the game itself. So thanks for having me again. No worries. And I'll officially announce, Mel, um, you are part of MPO, so don't try and say thanks for having uh, me in that. You're part of the furniture now moving forward. So um, uh, I thought we'll, 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 say, we'll say that on the public forum. I don't think Woody's going to punch me because he's at home well, and I'm at my home. So. <laughs> No, nah, no, nah, we really appreciate your input and what we will do at our next planning meeting, we'll get you on because... Um, yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. So anyway, sorry, people, we, we've probably uh, dragged out our throat to the, the break. So anyway, see you, Mel, and see uh, Aaron on the... No worries, and we'll see Aaron on the other side of the break. Huru, everyone, and we'll see you after the break. So enjoy your coffee, your hot chocolate, your beer, whatever you're going to do. Welcome back from our break. Uh, It's MPO Sports Podcast. You've got Tim and Aaron. Um, Unfortunately, our planned guest has had to pull out at the last minute, Andrew. So we will probably um, try and fill in the void of Andrew not making it. What will happen? I thought what we'll start off with is the uh, world game. And in particular, we had a question from a uh, listener who um, has floated the question, why is Gareth Bale on such an inflated wage at Tottenham? So I sort of thought um, Aaron might start the conversation and we'll go from there. Um, Yeah, so the question was in comparison to other Premier League stars. Um, And, yes, he is earning a lot more than than the rest of them because he's on um, 
well, it's reported up to £600,000 per week, but most of that is actually from Real Madrid. So you've really got to factor in um, some of the wages of the top guys over in Spain and compare it to them rather than the guys in the Premier League, given that um, he's still on loan um, to Tottenham from Real Madrid. So they have a lot of inflated wages over there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he does. His wage doesn't actually even compare to what um, Messi's on, really, does it? No, it doesn't. And I suppose for um, people that don't necessarily follow the world game and are more AFL orientated, it's not dissimilar to the Trelaw situation at the Western Bulldogs this year, where there's a club they were at um, is paying quite a bit of the wage anyway. Uh, yeah, that's right. So I think. They're pretty much splitting at 50-50 at the moment um, yep. between um, Real Madrid and Tottenham. Um, so he's probably on about £300,000 a week and Tottenham's next top earner is Harry Kane on £200,000. But as I said, you've really got to compare it to um, the highest paid guys in the in La Liga. Um, we still puts him well in the top end, but... N- Messi's on probably double that again at the moment, and I and I'd be guessing um, Ronaldo would be on more than him as well. So, yeah, I haven't been able to find his what his wage is um, at Juventus, but um, yeah, it's going to be up there with Messi. I would have thought. Yeah, hundred percent. All right, that's probably enough on that one. Um, if if Clay himself has any further questions, you know where social media is. Clay, um, give that a whirl. Um, then. The other burning thing probably in the world game at the moment in our sort of domestic level is word is Manchester United potentially buying the Central Coast Mariners, <coughs> excuse me, which would be good for the A-League, but the negative is they're talking about relocating them to Northern Sydney. Um, what are your thoughts on that one? Um, I don't actually mind the idea that um, Manchester United are looking to buy an A-League club um, pretty much just keeping up pace with what Man City have done with Melbourne City. Um, they bought out Melbourne Hart and rebranded them, um, which is actually a good thing for the A-League because it means that the big clubs are taking notice. Um, and as I've previously discussed, I don't pay much interest in the A-League, but this can only be a good thing for it. But um, I think the problem they would have, and I think a lot of A-League fans would probably agree with me here, um, Manchester United buying out Central Coast is one thing, but relocating them to Sydney is a complete <clears throat> different scenario. I think most people would actually probably prefer to keep them out of a capital city because we're becoming too focused on <clears throat> Melbourne and Sydney at the moment. Um, and I think having teams outside of the capital cities is actually probably better for the league. Yeah, and look, um, that's probably the only negative thing I've got about it because I see, like, even the Melbourne City model as a good way for young Australian players to get exposure in Europe through the loan system within their own uh, mother club, you might say. Um, I think um, if you look at uh, Melbourne City in particular, Daniel Lozani, even though he got injured over in Europe, it gave him an opportunity at a younger age. He may have gone a little bit too early, <clears throat> but because of the city group, it gave him the opportunity to be loaned out or or sent to another team within their um their what what would we say their um, business model. 
because they've got numerous clubs around the world. So, yeah, look, I think it's it's a good thing on paper, but, yeah, I'm anti the move because they've already got a bit of a following and they quite often um, go close to capacity at most home games anyway, which is a major issue in the A-League is um, attendance. Yeah, that's right. But I think especially too, we've got to got to keep in mind that there's still a lot of people that like to hold on to a bit of the nostalgia from um, the old NSL as well. Um, and that that had a lot of teams outside of the capital cities as well. So um, I think a lot of a lot of football fans in Australia would still like to see teams outside of the <coughs> capital cities. Well, here's one. Not that we want um, the Mariners being um, relocated there, but. Um, the A-League have played two games in this or are playing two games in the span of about eight to nine days um, in Tasmania. I think, um, isn't it? Um, yeah, Western United are hosting games there, I think, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. One's going to be, well, I think they've played one. Let me have a quick look at the, <clears throat> at the A-League draw as we speak um, because I reckon... I believe they've played um, a couple of games. Yeah, so they played at um, U-Taz Stadium uh, against Wellington Phoenix on Thursday and drew. Now, did they play? And they played the previous round, which was Saturday the 17th, against Central Coast there and won 1-0. So they're, they're obviously, as far as the alley goes, looking at, Tasmania is a potential um, port for another team. So, you know, it just seems to be ridiculous that, um, you know, there might be the consideration of um, moving Central Coast Mariners to Northern Sydney um, when they're trying to expand out of Melbourne and Sydney. But anyway. Um, yeah, that, that's the other thing too with, with Western United. Like, um, they're obviously only pretty new into the league, but they've also... Um, they play a lot of their games out of Ballarat and Geelong as well, so they don't just stick to Melbourne. Um, so it looked it, it looks like they're trying to bring bring the game to markets that otherwise wouldn't be there, um, which which I think is a very good thing. And that's why it just doesn't sit right with me that um, the potential of Central Coast actually relocating <laughs> back to a to an already dominant market for the game. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. And look, that's probably enough um, on that subject. I think it's time to move on to combat sports. And the first point of discussion we had was a little bit of a chat about the Blonde Bomber and her efforts pre-fight and post-fight and probably during the fight even. Um, To me, I think she's helped probably put a bit more interest in women's boxing, especially the way the fight played out and she... Um, ended up fighting two or three rounds with one eye um, open. So what are your thoughts there? Um, yeah, so we'll, ju- we'll just backtrack a little bit and get a bit of context in this for those that aren't familiar. So, yeah, Ebony Bridges is a is a um, professional boxer um, from Sydney. She actually went over to um, London last week and fought for the WBA bantamweight title um, against um, a, a Brit named Shannon Courtney. Um, and there was a bit of bit of back and forth in the media because those are familiar with um, Ebony Bridges. She's uh, she 
she likes to market herself with her image as well. Um, and let's not kid ourselves. She's actually a very attractive woman. Um, and she uses that to her advantage and has filled up a bit of a social media following. And um, Shannon Courtney took exception to that because she's um, of the opinion that your, your talent in the ring should be all that you need. Um, and Ebony Bridges has said, well, you know what? I've uh, got some assets and let's use that to bring some attention to women's boxing that otherwise may not be there. Um, so there's a bit of tension between the two before the fight. But, um, yeah, Shannon, Shannon Courtney ended up winning by unanimous decision. But, um, yeah, Ebony Bridges far from disgraced herself, especially getting the, the cut early on and then battling through. And there was there was talk too that um, the way the eyes shut up was um, closed up, which is not shut up, closed up was um, due to a, a headbutt anyway. A yeah, head contact. It, it was to a head clash, yeah. And obviously that stuff happens in boxing. And um, yeah, Ebony was um, obviously not going to use it as an excuse and wasn't going to let it stop her from fighting. And she battled through and look, she, she did lose, but she definitely held her own and didn't disgrace herself by any means. And apparently, um, from all accounts, the fight was probably in the balance prior to the head clash that closed her eye. And then that was sort of where um, she started to lose it. Obviously, we fell out having the one eye, but she kept pressing forward. Um, I've seen mailboxes um, sort of not answer the bell for less. So... And, and, and also use it as an excuse <laughs> after the fight. And um, <laughs> Ebony definitely wasn't going to do that. Um, she didn't use an excuse, obviously an unfortunate injury, but to her credit, she was not even interested in using that as an excuse. Um, and yeah, just, it was actually a good, good advertisement for women's boxing in general, really. Um, Shannon Courtney, um, definitely outclassed her in the end. So it was actually a, a great night for women's boxing, I think. It, it, look, it still probably smells a rematch considering the head clash and, you know, yeah, the sort of obvious disadvantage in the last two or three rounds, but um, only time will tell. So also in the um, combat sports area, we, I've got listed, we're going to discuss a little bit about the McGregor and Poirier feud. Now, I believe that is a lot connected to McGregor saying prior to the fight that they had recently that um, he would donate, was it 500 grand to Poirier's charity and now Poirier's come in the media or social media and said um, the money is never <clears throat> turned up in the coppers of the um, charity of choice. Um, what's your thoughts on it? Um, look, <clears throat> and Poirier's since come out and said, look, he, he should have handled it privately rather than publicly, <clears throat> um, which is probably a fair point. Um, and he <clears throat> said, look, I've, I've probably gone about the wrong way and made it a bit selfish and should have made it about the charity and handled it privately. But at the end of the day, McGregor's pledged $500,000 to a charity, um, which Dustin Poirier's got set up to help disadvantaged kids. Um, and it, I think it just speaks volumes for the character of McGregor or more appropriately, the lack of character where he's said that he'll donate, donate this sum of money to the charity to sort of good bloke himself and win a couple of browning points in the media. And then he's gone back on his word and he's making excuses and trying to blame Dustin for it all, saying that he um, 
his charity hasn't reached out to him to to lay out the terms of where the money's going to be spent and and what they're going to do with it. But he, he's pledged the money, so um, I would have thought if you're giving money to a charity, it's up to you to research that sort of stuff. But as I said, um, it just speaks volumes for the the lack of quality in McGregor's character to go back on it, which doesn't surprise me, and it probably doesn't surprise you either, Tim. No, it doesn't, but I, I look, in fairness, um, innocent until proven guilty, I'd like to actually um, sort of hear a bit more information from both sides before I lay judgment on that one. But, yeah, I tend to sway your way on that one. Um, and let's be honest, this is just playing into both of their hands because they're going to have a trilogy fight before the year's out anyway. <coughs> so this will just add to the build-up surrounding it. And, look, end of the day, who, who knows, maybe they are playing a game. Wouldn't put it past the UFC to be doing such a thing. And if they were, <coughs> shame on them um, using a charity if that was the case. Um, next on the list is um, our review of the Whitaker-Gastelum fight. Um, now, as um, all uh, viewers or listeners would know, um, Whitaker won it convincingly, basically 10-9 rounds. Five ways. Um, um, and there could have been two 10-8 rounds in there as well. He just completely... <coughs> that That's the best version of Robert Whitaker that I've seen. Um, <clears throat> and if he can carry on that form, then he might definitely go and get his belt back. I look, I know MMA logic sort of goes out the door, but was it a more polished um, effort than what Izzy had against Gastelum? Yeah, I think it was. It was just complete domination from Whitaker. Um, used his striking and his reach, and you used all the tools that he had. And the best thing for me to come out of it was he actually out wrestled Gastelum and took him down a few times and um, kept him down as well. Um, and yeah, that I did. I did say that there could have been a couple of ten eight rounds, and that's not enough <coughs> on Gastelum at all because Gastelum actually. Did have a couple of good moments himself, but I think Whitaker was just on a completely different level and just showed that, um, yeah, he, he may not have the belt, but there's really no one in the division um, outside of Adesanya that's really got what it takes to match him. Now, I'm going to pose something along on this subject that will probably give away the fact that our break's been a bit longer than 20 minutes, but... I oppose it. It seems what is um, recent as today that um, Dana has put someone else forward to get the shot with Izzy. Now, my question is, is that Izzy and Dana running scared after seeing what Robbie did to uh, Gastelum and thinking Izzy is a realistic chance of getting beaten in a rematch? Because it seems there's another hurdle being thrown his way. Yeah, I think they have. So Marvin Vittori's been given the um, the next shot at, at Asanya, which, look, he's probably <coughs> next in line after Whitaker. Um, but I think it is a bit of them ducking ducking um, <coughs> Rob here because what we know how Dana operates. He'll offer fights to guys knowing that they won't accept terms or won't accept those dates and then say that he's refused it and I don't know what he's doing. Why would you reject this fight and that sort of thing? So Adesanya wanted a June fight with Whitaker. And given that he's just fought last weekend, that's too quick a turnaround. 
So I'm pretty confident that Dana will come out and say, oh, we <laughs> offered Whitaker the fight and he turned it down and he'll do what he does there. But I think you're definitely on the money. It's it's definitely both Izzy and Dana ducking Whitaker a bit because after the display he put against Gastelum, I think they've both realised that um, it's definitely not <laughs> going to be a walkover. So maybe they're just given... Uh, Dane has given Adesanya one more fight to build up his confidence. Because <clears throat> if the same version of Whitaker that fought Gaslam comes out and faces Adesanya again, um, we could have a very good fight on our hands and we could very well have the belt <clears throat> coming back to Australia. And the great Michael Bispin pretty much hinted, I think, the way he fought against Gaston is the way he needs to fight against um, Izzy. So um, they have been doing their homework and they may have even geared um, Robbie up for Gaston that way in a precursor to get that fight with um, Izzy anyway, just to see how it actually goes. Yeah, I think there was a definite game plan there because Whitaker was a bit more patient than he normally is and he, as we know, Adesanya's strength is probably his counter-striking and he likes to let the opponent come to him. And that's what Whitaker did a bit as well. He he let Gaslam come to him and his counter-striking was just so clean and crisp. The, the only problem will be with that technique against Izzy is Izzy might just stand there like he did against... Um, against Romero, yeah. yeah. <coughs> Which does Robbie no favours. No, not at all. If it's going to be another fight like that, then most of the rounds are going to go to the champion, aren't they? But what I did like from Whitaker, as I said, was his wrestling and the way he out-wrestled Gastelum. And as we saw in the Blakowicz fight against Adesanya, um, he's proven hard to get down, but once you get him down, you can keep him down. And Whitaker did that against Gastelum, who's no slouch on the mat normally. Probably um, so better than Izzy on the mat, if anything. That's right. So if he could keep Gaston down, I think he's definitely going to keep Adesanya down and can um, rain down some hammer fists and some elbows and dish out a bit of punishment to him. Yeah, yeah, 100%. All right, and then our other topic on combat sports um, was Glover fighting for the light heavyweight belt at UFC 266. Yeah, so this is actually um, a lot of... MMA fans would be really happy with this. So Glover Teixeira, he's been fighting for about 20 years now. Um, he's 41 years old and he's getting a, a crack at the belt, um, which would be great if he could do it. And look, if you look at his last couple of fights um, against Thiago Santos and <laughs> Anthony Smith, um, he's... He's been in fine form of late. He's actually on a um, five-fight win streak. Um, so, look, it would be be heartwarming a bit for a lot of fans to see someone who's been doing it for as long as um, Glover has to finally, finally get a get a belt. Because um, I know I'm a big fan of his. Um, so yeah, it'd be be quite good to see. No worries. And look, um, yeah, just stay tuned for that. And probably um, the only other thing I can think of is um, stay tuned for the toing and throwing, as we said earlier, for the Whitaker situation with Izzy, because I don't think uh, 
<coughs> that's going to be resolved in five minutes. That's going to probably – that could go until the end of the year or beyond, I think, is the way I'm seeing it. Yeah, it's definitely definitely <laughs> more to come with that story too, I think. But um, we know Robert Whittaker, he doesn't get stuck into these games and just um, – get stuck in these slanging matches with opponents and all that sort of stuff. He actually respects the sport, which is, um, is actually quite refreshing. And it's actually, it's sad to say that probably um, only other fighters that consistently I can think of as a group that actually respect um, the martial arts side of it is probably the women, to be honest, because there's a lot of beefcakes in the men's divisions that just do not respect the art side of it at all. No, but that's sort of what sells fights. And that's, I think that's what Dana wants from guys as well. Um, He'd rather give, give um, title shots to guys that have a bigger following and talk a bit of shit to each other. And um, Rob Whitaker, he's not going to compromise who he is um, just to to make a bit more money. Um, He's, He's just who he is, and that's what he offers up, and you've got to respect that. <clears throat> and probably the the easiest guy to compare him with the past is probably GSP with the way he goes about it. He just does it. Yeah. And, that... and look, I know that there's probably a lot of listeners that do get sick of you referencing GSP at every given opportunity, but, um, yeah, in this instance, it's absolutely spot on. And, look, they might get sick of it, but when a guy's that good, he's going to come up in conversation. It's no different to AFL, and if you're – um, talking AFL, Kerry, Ablett, those sort of guys come up regularly too. So that's just life. Um, now we'll move on to the NFL and you are going to predict your top five for the draft that's up and coming soon. Yep. So I'm actually getting quite excited about the NFL draft, which <coughs> Jim's probably well aware of. He obviously doesn't follow, follow it as closely as I do, but um, <coughs> yeah, we're... We're less than a week away now from the draft, so I'm just going to quickly go through who I think might be the top five. Um, so pick one, Jacksonville have that. Um, look, they've got a lot of needs, um, so they they've, they've got a lot of lo- or not a lot of needs, but more needs than most um, with lines and positions that need strengthening. But they'll just take the best quarterback available, and that is. Um, Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson. Um, Pick two, that's the New York Jets. They will be taking Zach Wilson. He's a quarterback from BYU. So they've just traded Sam Darnold out to the Panthers. Um, So they will definitely be taking a quarterback here. And I think the, the top two have been locked in for the last couple of months. So the draft really starts at pick three. And that's where things get really interesting because... Um, the 49ers have traded up from pick 12 all the way up to pick three. They're definitely going to take a quarterback here. Um, you don't you don't trade up that much and give up that much to not take a quarterback. Um, there's a lot of conjecture about who they're going to take. Mac Jones from Alabama. He's um, his name's been thrown around a lot recently, and he he moved into favoritism actually. Um, for who the Niners would take there. But I I still believe that they're going to take one of Trey Lance. Um, he's quarterback from North Dakota State. Or Justin Fields, 
from Ohio State, but I've, I've just got a gut feeling that, that they're going to take Trey Lance here and then they'll sit him for a year behind um, Jimmy Garoppolo and then um, in his second year, he'll, he'll take over the quarterback role and they'll try and move Garoppolo on. Um, pick four is currently the Atlanta Falcons have that. I'm not sure that a trade won't be done, uh, but at the moment they sit in fourth position. So I'll predict that if they're, if they're sitting in the fourth position, they're going to take Kyle Pitts, the tight end out of um, Florida. Um, he, he moves like a wide receiver and he's, you know, got, got all the tools of every other tight end as well. So he's a generational receiver. The, the Falcons moved up a long time ago to take Julio Jones, who they saw as a once-in-a-generation receiver. Um, his career is winding down now. He'll be in the Hall of Fame. So I'd imagine they're probably looking at something like that, another Hall of Fame receiver um, with Kyle Pitts there. And the Bengals have pick five. Um, I think they're going to look to get some protection for Joe Burrow as he comes back from injury. So... Um, the best offensive tackle available, in my opinion, is Penny Sewell from Oregon. And I would expect that they're going to take him at that, that pick number five. And then um, depending on what the um, Niners do at pick three, we could see a lot of movement with the Lions and um, Panthers at pick six and seven. And um, some teams might be trying to trade up to get into those spots and take a quarterback that might be available there if the Niners do take Mac Jones. Okay. Um, just for interest sakes, for my sake, um, what number pick do the Cowboys have? They're at pick 10. All right. And they need yeah. to pick someone to protect the quarterback. Um, no, I think they're probably more in a need of a <clears throat> cornerback. To be honest, okay. if I was if I was if I was drafting for the Cowboys this year, I'd be looking <laughs> at a cornerback, um, and the best one available is Patrick Sertain. Um, I think if if he's available there, the Cowboys would be stupid not to take him. But given what the Cowboys have done the last few years, they seem to be taking receivers, even though their offense is is pretty well sorted. But yeah, Patrick Sertain's a Cornerback out of Alabama, and yeah, if he if he's available at pick ten, you'd you'd have to have to lock him in if you're looking to build a, a better team at at Dallas because they've the focus just on the offensive side of the ball for a few years now, and they they keep leaking points. And they've um, obviously vested in uh, long term in their uh, offense anyway because they've locked in quite a few guys on decent contracts, haven't they? Yeah, so they got um, Ezekiel Allett, Amari Cooper, and they've just signed Dak Prescott to a massive deal in the offseason as well. Yeah. So there's a lot of money tied up on the offense, and that's another reason I think they need to go a, a defensive player um, at, at their first pick because with so much money tied up on the offense, um, they need to try and go cheaper in other areas. So why not get a rookie... Rookie cornerback and shore up that secondary a bit. Yeah, no, fair, fair call. So I think, look, that's pretty much covered the NBA. So we've got to uh, – not NBA, sorry, NFL. Jeez. 
Jeez, Tim, um, misreading my notes. So that's pretty much going to be it for us um, on this second half of our um, podcast. Normally we would go into um, our winging it, which is our predictions, and it's only money, which is our multi, but we're going to give them a miss this time around and just briefly talk about a new format we've discussed that we're going to trial, and that will be with the popular um, adding of Mel to our AFL part, we've decided to do an AFL-specific episode each time and then within a day or two Woody and I'll get together and do the rest of the sports separately and we'll keep our um, winging it and all that sort of stuff attached to that and probably do our Mount Rushmore round AFL subjects for a while and see how that goes and so please give us some thoughts through social media um, for suggestions even for Mount Rushmore's that are AFL related and also throw questions because we'll discuss the burning points at that time in our opinion, won't we, um, Woody? Yeah, that's the thing with us releasing <laughs> episodes probably every three weeks. Um, we, we discuss a lot of stuff all the time, but, you know, <laughs> week to week the, the landscape changes. So we're just going to try and discuss what's, what, what are the burning issues at the time of recording. And um, Mel's been a very handy acquisition for us and, um Help build our following a bit, and um, of the three of us, Tim, would you who would you say is um, got the most knowledge in AFL? Well, <clears throat> I would say of the three of us, the person that's carrying an anchor around at the moment's me, looking at the results of the Port Adelaide St Kilda game. Um, look, opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got <laughs> one. Um, that's all I'll say on the matter. But um, yeah, so Tim Tim's had to eat a little bit of hum, humble pie the last couple of days. So myself and Mel have got a bit of mileage out of that. So that that's been quite amusing for us. So if you're on Twitter, have a look and follow it. It might be a good way of getting on board. So look, that brings us to the end of yet another riveting, um, thought provoking, storm creating episode of MPO Sports Podcast. I would like to just give us a give a little bit of a plug to Josh Watson, who does all the editing. So Josh will probably between now and the next few days have a bit of work up his sleeve, and he utilizes the tunes produced by Zaggy Two, which is usually our intro and farewell music, as well as the halftime break music. So um, basically, it's going to be Huru from myself. And it'll be see you later from me. And just a reminder to search for us on Facebook at NPO Sports Podcast and hit us up on Twitter at NPO Podcast. No worries. Catch you around with our AFL-specific um, episode coming probably in about three weeks' time. And then within a few days of that, we will produce the rest of the sports. All righty then. Guru. Guru.